Hey, Melanie. Derek. How's it going? It's going so well. Always good to see you. You too. You too. I'm reading you. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm here in Barcelona just enjoying the sun and enjoying the warmth and, you know, hoping things are going well back in Boston. They are indeed. Speaking of our topic today of making it rain, it is raining in Boston. And that actually may be slowing down my internet at the moment. So pardon any lags on my side. Well, like you said, yes, today is all about making it rain. We say tongue in cheek because, you know, everybody wants to make it rain. And and not to say we're going to be like splashing out dollars, but, you know, we're talking about how to, today we're talking about how to think about um, building wealth, managing your wealth, and preserving wealth. And when yes. a little bit later we'll be talking to um, Margarita Chang, who is a financial planner. Yes, excited about that. Yeah. So before we we recorded this, before we started recording this, I was thinking about um, a conversation that I had several years ago when I worked at a university. And um, I was working with two college interns and we were just talking about some of the ways in which people make money or invest. And so I was telling them about my real estate investment and how I had at that point, I think been five years in and, you know, just like the steps I had taken and how I started off with a small amount and then leveraged the equity of the properties to, you know, eventually gain more and more. And they said to me, Oh, adopt us, put us in your will. And I was like, I'm not doing that. You're not my children. I'm not doing that. But what I did say to them, because, you know, we, we had a good rapport, we, you know, they were, I considered them friends. And I said, you know, what, what I will do is it, I'll sit down and I'll tell you how I did it. I'll explain to you how I did it so that yeah. you can think about your situation, because I I'm, I'm have no interest in accumulating everything, accumulating as much as I can so that no one else has, has the opportunity. I want to make sure that I can per, per, not present, um, I can offer my knowledge, offer my yeah. experience so that you can then do it too, because I want people to succeed. And I want to be able to hang out with people who are able to do these things um, versus me just doing it all alone and wondering, oh, where are my friends? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's also a really relevant point that I'm sure we'll touch on over time on this podcast is being able to build a network of peers who are on a path or are further down the path that you can follow. And so I love that you're looking back, even as you're moving forward, you're looking back on, oh, how did I or could I have impacted those folks at that stage of their lives, given what I didn't have in place at that stage in my life. And I think about that often for my own self, looking back and wondering, geez, darn, if only I had done X, Y, and Z thing. And those things aren't things I wouldn't have thought about, but I don't think I felt uh, empowered enough to do. So I love that we're having this conversation today about how you can take even small steps that can have a compounding impact over time. When I think about my life of being in my mid forties now and thinking back 20, 25 years, you know, an if only for me is what if I had just created a small Roth IRA and put just a percentage of any money I had um, at any given time into it gradually, year in and year out, small amounts. What could that have reaped me um, by now? 
you know, and it's not to say that I won't be able to or haven't been able to more than catch up. But there is something significant about being on the path of learning, growing, experimenting and being empowered to do so because you see other people doing it and other people can be there to coach you and guide you. So I think that's what that's some of what we're trying to do here is no matter where we are on the age spectrum, getting on the path, having people alongside you, having people ahead of you um, so you can stay on the path. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that I was told early on, quote unquote, early on when I was building my real estate portfolio, even though I didn't think I had much, even though I didn't have, and I still don't think I have very much in terms of just cash on hand. Um, one of the things I was told repeatedly was to have a will, to make a will and to have a will and to keep it current. Amen. And, but it's, you know, for some people that's very obvious, but again, like from where I was starting and from where, even where I am now, I'm like, well, let me go back. So from where I was starting, I was like, is this really necessary? Like this, is this really going to protect? I mean, yes, it will protect, but is this really important now for the very yeah. little that I have? I mean, now yeah. I, I get it. I get it a little bit more um, as I am, you know, doing different things in life. I'm taking bigger risks. I'm doing different yes. things. I get it. It makes more sense now. But, you know, I guess at the time I was, you know, I, was, I wouldn't say significantly younger, but I was younger. And I was just sort of like, I, I, you know, it just really kind of boggled the mind. I was sort of like, why was someone my age with what little I have need this now? Um, so, you know, this is something I definitely want to sort of see what our what our guests today would have to say. I have two thoughts about that, actually, and, and then excited to draw in our guest. You know, when the pandemic started, it became really obvious that we didn't have the luxury of being casual about matters like our finances, instructions for, frankly, our bodies, instructions for what happens with our children. Um, you needed a plan. <laughs> you needed an emergency plan and you needed an estate plan. And I know that my team, we actually hosted an IG Live with an estate planner on that very topic that wills are for anybody. Because the second reason is you also want to practice some kind of care for the people in your life so that they actually know what to do. They're, you're not leaving them in the, in the lurch about how to handle what little you might have had. Um, that just really matters. And so to start now and do it, it's the same thing like making a small investment here and there in an IRA over time. It's developing uh, almost like hygiene, developing a practice of thinking about your wealth now, thinking about what you're leaving behind, taking yourself seriously. So for those reasons, yeah, thinking about yourself as having an estate um, so that it's easier on the people once you're gone, but also you actually know that you're building something that you're leaving. And that's important. That's powerful, especially for Black folks to just have as even a mental exercise. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways in which this slice and dice that I think we should bring our expert on to help us really sort through some of this and, and understand it better. Do you want to do a quick introduction and I'll bring her in? Great, let's do it. We are welcoming today Margarita Chang, who's a financial advisor, uh, and she works with folks of all walks of life, and she's going to be able to inform us on a number of things. She also has two podcasts that she might mention uh, on today's conversation, um, and we're happy to have her here on ours. Welcome, Rita. We, she also goes by Rita. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here because this is a topic that is so important to our communities. Oh, and sorry to interrupt. Remind us of your um, practice, the name of your business. So the name of my firm is Blue Ocean Global Wealth. And I, I'm not going to say was because I still am inspired by Blue Ocean Strategy, which basically means that you look to the competition, but you don't benchmark yourself to the competition. You um, do things differently through innovation. So what did I do differently? And what do I do differently? I think traditionally financial planning and asset management uh, was based, I say traditionally, it has evolved and it is evolving, but it was traditionally based on a business model of, okay, if you have a certain size portfolio, you turn over your portfolio, you pay a percentage of the assets you have to receive advice. There is nothing wrong with that business model. However, for younger folks or individuals from diverse, multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic backgrounds, that business model may not work because they are in wealth accumulation phase. And for me, I don't know, I felt like it was really disrespectful for people who wanted my help, who trusted my help for me to say, I'm sorry, you don't meet my minimum. Why don't you like go save on your own, figure it out and come back in 10 years? I didn't think that. Um, I was very troubled by that. So I said to myself, you know what? I'm doing things differently. I'm focusing on financial planning first because I believe at my core, if you are a recent grad or someone who's just retired, you are worthy and you are deserving of competent ethical advice. Mm. I love that. I love that. I think you're the first person I've ever heard say that. And so that gets me excited. That gets me excited. Like that is something that's accessible for me, for my friends, for my family, and yes. for people I might not even know who are coming up through the pipeline in the same way that I was. So thank you for putting that out there in the world. Oh my goodness. Thank you. And I mean it. I understand that people will say you can't be all things to all people. And I agree with that. However, there's no buts here. At my very core, the best thing that you can do for your clients who are closer to retirement is help them and help their children. And the best things that you can do for their children is create a safe space where they can ask questions uh, and not worry about judgments. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, Rita, I'm so glad that you talked about your philosophy and your approach because I can say as a real estate advisor, it's actually really hard to find. Um, for our clients, we often want to refer, and that's part of why I'm excited about getting to know you. It is hard to find a financial planner who will focus on just this space as opposed to focusing on someone's assets that are already there that they can help uh, the client invest. So talk to us a little bit about how you help folks build financial freedom, because I know that that's part of how you think about the work you do. Sure. So uh, the first thing I'll say is I go back to the definition of financial planning. So financial planning is a collaborative process. So you work with your client and for your client. It's a collaborative process that helps the client 
maximize their potential for meeting their life goals through financial advice that integrates the personal and financial circumstances. So let's start with the financial planning process, taking the time to understand people's priorities Mm -hmm. and passions. If you don't want to say the word values, don't say values, say priorities and passions. So someone's passion is travel and their priority is having quality time and exploring the world. That is really important for me to know. Um, Mm -hmm. So I help them build financial freedom by first understanding those passions and priorities. Um, I had clients that hired me when they were 32 and 34, respectively. And they said to me, they're like, we are retiring when we're 50, 55. Love it. We know we're 32, we're 34. We know we don't have a large size portfolio, um, but we think we're going to be good clients. And you know what I told them? I said, I know you are too. You don't need to sell me. Not only do you have... Um, the capacity to save, meaning the ability, you're motivated. And I would love to take this journey for you. So taking the time, this is a really good example, knowing when the clients are 32 and 34, they're like, we want to retire when we're 50, 55. We have that range. For us, we are more than willing to make choices today to make that a reality. And for them, they like to travel a lot. So they may not direct all their resources to like a new car every five years because that's not important to them. So it's important how I help um, folks build freedom is understanding what's important to them. It's not Margarita's plan or Rita's plan. I am facilitator. I help them get to where they need to be. And if they fall off course, I help them get back on track. That's awesome. And and what do you think about that mode of like this example of even having the IRA, if you're not even 32, let's say you're 22, like, do you have examples of how you get people on that track early on, even if they don't have an ambitious goal of retiring at age 50? Absolutely. So first I'll say, remember, everybody is worthy and deserving of competent ethical advice. The other thing that I believe is it is never too early to start and it is never too late. I have helped kids in high school, the children of um, my clients, start Roth IRAs. I've also helped people when they're 70 start a Roth IRA. So here's an example. Um, Somebody uh, was 19 years old and the parents were in a position. He saved $1,000 a year. He's 19 years old to a Roth IRA. And his parents are like, you know what? We're in a position where we can give you $1,000. Now, you can't touch this for your retirement. So they did this for about 11 years till he was 30. He had $22,000 of contributions. I know he could do more, but he did the um, 1000 a year. And then his parents gave him 1000 for uh, 11 years. And it was about $22,000. So you would think, okay, he has $22,000. That's great. Well, his $22,000 grew to be around 35000 when he was around 34. Yeah. And yeah. he was getting ready to buy a house. This is why this is so powerful. It is true when we're like in high school or in college or young professionals, we may not know what we're going to do. He was able to access the contribution. Now, he could access the growth, but he just needed to access the contribution because he had been saving and he used that to purchase a home in Northern Virginia. So you say, okay, 35,000 minus 22, 
the guy has 13,000 left. That's not true. He actually has 37,000 left. Why is that the case? Because he's been doing this for 18 years. Actually, it's yeah. probably closer to 19 years. So don't feel that you have to do the max, even if all you can do is 50, 100, 1,000. Um, you are on the path to prosperity and you're on the path to uh, building and creating wealth for yourself. For um, clients who are younger or the children of my clients, I may not necessarily use the word retirement right away. I am not misleading people. Roth IRAs for retirement. But I don't say to somebody who's 19, you need to save for retirement. It is really about setting aside to create wealth and build wealth for yourself. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? And I walk the talk. Like, my youngest child started putting $500 um, into her Roth IRA from her earnings from lifeguarding. And I, and I am in the position where I did match her and I did whatever she did, I did because it was a way to encourage her. But for parents who can't match, that's okay. Um, if you can, I think it's really helpful because now my daughter just graduated from high school and um, she is really uh, motivated. Like she has her savings account, her checking account, and then she has her Roth IRA. She's got a plan. And, and the, the example you gave of the 19-year-old who then bought a home, in, I think when he was 30, he was able to pull money from that for a home purchase. So even though it was a retirement account, he was a, that was an allowable use, right? To pull the money out to be able to buy a home that he was going to live in uh, as his primary residence. It, he absolutely was. So he actually had 11 years of contributions. And then when he got married, he stopped the contributions. Um so he purchased the house like between the ages of like 32 and 33. So yes, um, individuals, in this case, he was able to take the contribution out of his Roth IRA. He didn't need to touch the growth. Yeah. If he had to touch the growth, he could. But this is about helping clients. I think one of the questions you're going to ask me, how do I advise clients about purchasing real estate? Yeah. So when it comes time, of course, we want to save and invest. But when clients need to purchase or access funds for that down payment. I work with him to determine what is the most cost effective way in terms of taxes. And because he'd been saving so much money, he just needed that amount of money to get him over the edge, to lock in um, the best financing. That's great, that's great. Um, <clears throat> I know that we're gonna be short on time. So I, I do wanna ask one question that we were saving for the end. Um, but I know that you have to go uh, pretty soon. So uh, we spend a lot of time talking about accumulating wealth, saving, investing. But then once someone has reached their goals, how do you help them shift their mindset so they can actually enjoy what they've been doing all that time? So you know what? Sometimes this is very um, challenging for people. There are some clients that, honest to goodness, you can't get them to save. It's a struggle and invest. We still love those people and we will always help them. Um, for them, we tell them that the reason why I want you to save and invest today is so that you can enjoy the things today in the future. So it's different mindset. Then there may be another group of clients that are scared to spend down their money. Mm -hmm. So true story, I had a client who was, at that time, he had just turned 70 and a half. And that's when there's a rule when you have to start taking money out of your retirement plans. And he was nervous, right? 
oh my God, this is a lot of money sitting out of my account. And this is what I told him. I listened to him and I said, you know what? You have done an amazing job. I can't take credit for this. You have done an amazing job saving for retirement. You are retired. And you know what? The, the government does want you to start taking money out at 70 and a half. And I know you are very disciplined and you're not going to blow it. There isn't, I can think of no better way for you to um, access your wealth than to spend it traveling with those that you love most, his new life partner. And he's like, you know what? I never looked at it that way. You're right. It's not that he said that I deserve it. He's like, you're right. I did do a good job. And I, and I live within my means. And the government wants me to spend this money. And he, when it comes time to take his money out, he doesn't spend all of it. He spends some of it on a trip and then he saves the other half. So it's really about understanding their fears and concerns. And he was afraid of taking money out because his dad lived during the Great Depression. So he always had this fear, am I going to have enough? Am I going to have enough? But it was just giving him permission to say, hey, that your required minimum distribution is allowed, but you're not necessarily required to spend all of it. You just need to make sure it's distributed. And then you can reinvest it in another type of account. Love that. That's, 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 that's so important. Like I, I, I knew that we had to take money out at a certain age, but I never thought, oh, I don't have to spend all of it. I can actually reinvest it somewhere else. Yes. So good piece of advice to think about. And to your question, Derek, I mean, I'm thinking about how you're talking about this, Margarita, and I know that a number of your clients are people of color and, you know, we come with our own fears and suspicions and uh, hesitations um, given structural barriers. You know, it's like once I've saved some money, I don't want to lose it, for example. Um, can you talk about in any way ways that you help coach folks who don't come from families of wealth, just like the person you were talking about who's parents uh, suffered through the depression. Like, is there any kind of mindset that you find that you encounter or that you help your clients build from perspective of um, structural racism, frankly? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, this is something that, remember I said, everyone deserves access to competent ethical advice. You know, I live here in DC Metro and in Prince George's County, that is the county um, in Maryland that borders on uh, D.C. Montgomery County does, too. There is a lot of black wealth. And one of the things that I am focused on so many things, but one of the things where I have actually seen clients um, be victims of. We'll call it racism, structural racism is some of the loans they were in. So as an example. People have no control. It's true. You have no control over which, uh, whether you are the bank servicing your loan sells the portfolio, right? So yeah. I was on a mission. Um, I helped these clients. I don't originate mortgages, so I don't get any fees or commissions for doing mortgages. I worked with these people for three years. Every quarter seemed like a bit much. Every six months didn't seem like it was frequently enough. So at least three times a year, I would ask them to send me their mortgage statements. Wow. And that was so important to me and to them because they were a little bit underwater on their mortgage. No fault of theirs. It's just the timing. And 
that because their loan was sold to somebody else, they weren't eligible for those programs until you talk about transformational wealth. You know, I think all too often we tell people, you spend less money on carry out this, another, then being able to refinance to a loan. We're not even talking about cash out refinance. We're talking about refinance. They're able to save like $810 a month. Just to that's get 10 grand a year. Right. Get into a lower interest rate. Yeah. Right. So that's one way. Um, just yeah. being uh, an advocate. Um, mm. like, send me that statement. I mm. will read this. Um, and explaining what their options are. I said, you know what? You have wonderful jobs in IT and healthcare. Yeah. Um, and explaining to them that they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't. Um People may not have told them that, you know, maybe you could have um, put a little bit more money down and yeah. not had to pay that private mortgage insurance. So it was a process. The yeah. first process we did was helping them, you know, maintain good credits, pay down their mortgage. We're not even talking about refinancing at this point to lose the PMI. Yeah. The next thing that we're doing is we are making sure yeah, private mortgage insurance. Private mortgage insurance, yes. Then the, the next extra fee on top of your your mortgage payment, if the down payment you, you contributed is under twenty percent of the purchase price or of the home's value. Yeah. So that okay. was a situation where maybe people didn't, you know, tell them what their options are. Hey, if you put a little bit more down, you may not have to pay this. So the first step in this process was helping them lose that PMI. Yeah. The second step was helping them. Um, be able to refinance to a lower fixed rate. And that is how they're able to save $810 between no longer having to pay the premium for private mortgage insurance and then um, having a, the benefit of a lower rate. And so, you know, those savings, $810, that actually allowed them to contribute more yes. to their employer-sponsored retirement plans, yes. okay. which is a multiplicative effect. You talk yeah. about building wealth. Yes. They reduce their tax bill, they b build more wealth. And so then they're able to also um, contribute to a 529 plan and their first child mm -hmm. is will be graduated from college. Now that's the stuff I'm talking about. Yes. That's great, that's great. And I think, so I, I love everything that we're talking here about the structural and financial aspects of this. But what I'm also pulling out of this, uh, something you mentioned earlier is, you know, just knowing, having someone tell them that they didn't do something wrong. So removing some of the shame, removing some of the fear, removing some of the embarrassment around finances. So I think that a lot of people have that. Um, you know, it, it's sort of, it's, I don't know that it's explicitly taught to us, but I think just the ways in which people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to touch that. I don't want people to know. Um, yeah. There's a lot of fear and a lot of shame around that. And I think it's important to have someone like you, Rita, who can help them understand that there's nothing shameful about where they've been. Um, just as nothing shameful about wanting to move forward in a different way, in a way that's better than where they've been from the start. So beautiful. And then the question that Melanie said, the other thing that I think I do is I tell people this, and I think it's very important when you're working with people who, you know, have um, experienced racism, who have fear of being judged or have been judged, is explain to them that you made the best decisions that you did with the information that you had. Yeah. Today is a new day moving forward. And I remind them, remember financial planning is a collaborative process. We do things with our clients and for our clients. 
you're not at this alone. That's huge for people. Um, it's huge. Sometimes clients will um, scan their mail. Like, is this, is this garbage? Like, is this serious? Is this a scam? I'm like, you know, I want you to lean on me. There's no such thing as a dumb question. So when you remove those barriers, when you remove the fear, that actually helps people become um, more empowered, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. confidence and resilience. Right. I love that. I love that. That is all fantastic. Well, I know you have to go because I know you have a, another meeting coming up in a few minutes. Um, but we definitely want to thank you for your time, for your words of wisdom. Hopefully we can get you back again for more, for a little bit longer time as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was great. This is great. I feel more inspired and, and I feel like I could become more empowered as well. So I really appreciate having you on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a delight. Thank you, Rita. Thank you. We'll see you again. And that was great. That was great. I, yeah. I wish we could talk to her longer. Um, yeah. But we'll have to get her back on again. Yeah. I feel like I need I feel like I need more financial education at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I and clearly it's never too late to start, it's never too early to start, but it also never gets old. It's like there's mm -hmm. always another layer um to build in in building confidence. And I love that the way that Rita could answer the question about uh frankly, recovering from structural racism. You know, it's not even about us individually. It's just not. It's about circumstance. And we may not be at a place where we can overhaul systems, overall structural barriers, but what we can do is learn how to maneuver around them and understand that the, when we run into a wall um, or trip, it's not because of some personal failing. It's because knowledge wasn't handed to us. Knowledge that can be often handed to other people and their families, but that we've been systematically kept from um, having access to. So I love that what she's doing is coaching her clients and answering all the questions about, frankly, they're just general suspicions. What is this thing I got in the mail? What is this thing in the email? That's huge because often folks, feel frightened and they close themselves off entirely because they feel like, no, I just can't trust anything having to do with money. And that really doesn't, that doesn't hold. It's actually not real. There's a right. lot we can navigate. There's a lot we can navigate and it's, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that she mentioned, I think is important is that you're not in this alone. Um, so yes, you, you may be afraid, you may feel ashamed, you may feel embarrassed, but you don't have to be in this alone. Um, yes, it's great to have a financial planner, but also think about your community at large as well. So your family, your friends, um, they, they may not be financial planners, but they may be further ahead than you in terms of like some of the the things that you might need to do in terms of investing. They could maybe they could they could suggest a financial planner to you um, as well. But also we're in this new wonderful world of online services. So, you know, maybe Rita could be your financial planner, you know, even if you're in California or in Seattle, maybe you can still work with her, even though she's in DC, or she could refer you to another financial planner who's in your area if you want to meet someone on, in person in your area. So, I mean, like, don't feel like you're alone. Like we all, we all have a network. We all have multiple networks. That's right. And so whether it's your personal network or your professional network, or maybe you're in a sports league or some other type of network, you have a network and 
even if you're just starting out, if you're that, if you're that 19 year old who just has a thousand dollars a year, I shouldn't say just because that's a good chunk of money. Yeah. Or if you're, you know, in your 60s or your 70s, and you you are further along, and you're like you you want that advice, you want that support, tap your networks and make use of them. I mean, we have them. And what was the point? I guess where I'm going is what was the point of building this network, building this friend network, or going to the cookouts at every family reunion? if you're not going to talk to these people the other 364 days of the year. So yeah. you yeah. have these networks, use them um, because the health of your, the health of your community, the health of your network also impacts your health as well. So make use oh, of it. Uh, and dribble about I that. Love that story. Uh, yeah. That like the network is a reflection of your wealth and the potential mm -hmm. of your wealth. And what we want to do on this podcast is actually deepen and enrich your network with more and more connections, more and more points of reference, with people who are specialists in their areas, who are experts and who can help us learn how to think better, uh, act and behave more critically, um, and who can make introductions for you, help you find like partners in your own day-to-day -day life. So, so this is exciting. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we're gonna have to cut it off here to give ourselves time to go hang out with our networks and have some fun. Um, but just want to send a reminder to all those folks out there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave comments in the comment field, and we look forward to hearing from you. Actually, wait, leave comments and questions in the comment field because we want to answer your questions yes. as well if you have questions that either we can answer or we can bring back Rita or bring back somebody else from a different episode to answer. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Black Landing Forum. Be well.